All right, welcome. Uh, we have today a comics journey with Andrea Gilroy, who comes to us from Eugene, Oregon. And we're going to learn so much about her life and her journey in this video cast podcast for Professor Latinx. Um, I can tell you already that she has a PhD from the University of Oregon, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her dissertation that she wrote there and defended and uh, 2015, I believe. Um, also assistant curator of the Museum of Popular Culture at a certain point, and now comic book uh, store owner. Um, so yeah, welcome, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So um, my, I guess my first question is really, how did you get into comics? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, sort of uh, included my, my comics journey in, in pictures. Um, I've told the story a couple of times. We'll get into it a, a little bit later, um, in part because my dissertation was um, titled Origin Stories. So I felt necessary to tell my own origin story. Um, and um, I say it sort of all started with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but really there was this picture Bible, and I've actually managed to track it down. Um, it's called the Picture Bible. It's from 1978 um, that we had before that, that I really loved um, as a kid. It, you know, had all these great costumes and this, you know, the Bible makes for good comics. It's a lot of drama and a lot of, um, you know, magic and monsters and larger than life stuff and uh, you know good costume drama Cecil B. DeMille knew that too um, and that's what this this particular you know version was um, as a kid I loved to draw I loved art um, so I would always be doodling and so comics were pretty natural um, and then uh, the turtles were just really big for me I loved the turtles a lot um, and one of the first things I remember sitting down and really drawing was this Usagi Yojimbo action figure. And now looking back on it, I laugh a little bit because like, I didn't know that Usagi Yojimbo was this super cool um, independent comic. Um, I didn't know that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were the super cool independent comic. I just thought the samurai rabbit on the cartoon was cool, <laughs> you know? Um, but I remember, you know, spending hours drawing these characters and um, playing with them. And that also kickstarted an interest in Japan, um, which has sort of followed me through this journey. Um, like a lot of people who have been into comics who are around my age, I'm 36, um, the sort of journey into superheroes, out of superheroes, through manga, back into comics um, has been my journey. Um, I was nine or 10 when the clone saga and the death of Superman and that kind of thing was happening. I was young enough that, you know, I was swept up in the excitement of it all. Um, so the whole speculator market and the sort of silliness of it didn't necessarily strike me at the time. It was just very big drama that I was excited by. Um, and as I got into my teen years, I got much more into manga, which was growing. Uh, at the time, and anime. Um, and in my undergraduate years, that became a focus. I studied Japanese for a long time. I wrote um, some, my, I wrote my honors thesis, for example, on Princess Mononoke. And so when I started applying to grad school, 
I wanted to think about ways in which I could combine my primary interest in literature um, and popular culture. I had studied English primarily um, with my interest in Japanese, and that led me to looking at comparative literature. Um, and I ended up at the University of Oregon, and at that time I didn't really know that comic studies was a thing. Um, but luckily it was, <laughs> and it turned out to be um, a way to really bring me back much, much deeper. Um, and that sort of has brought me, has brought me back and in, in into a much fuller way. There was a great comic shop in Ann Arbor where I was living before we moved out here for grad school called The Vault of Midnight. And it's been really fun actually getting back in touch with Curtis who runs The Vault of Midnight um, and asking him advice as a, as a new business owner um, because he was, you know, my comic shop guy for a while and we would talk about new books and the new manga and the new stories coming out. Um, and so now to talk to him is like, well, what do you do for this? And what do you do for this has been, um, it's been really fun. And the fact that he actually, you know, to speak to a good shop owner, he, he remembered me and remembered um, Sean and I, and it had been eight or so years. So, um, so yeah, that's, um, that's my big comics journey. You know, I love, I love literature. I love art. And so comics was sort of the way to go. And I've always loved pop culture. I've always been sort of unabashedly in love with pop culture. So that kind of, um, that aspect of it never bothered me. Um, um, okay. So are you still creating? Are you, do you have time to, to develop that part of yourself? I, no, not really. I sort of in college, in undergrad, I took a couple art classes and got to that point where I realized like either I'm going to have to put a ton of time into this. You know, I wasn't talented enough to like, you know, even super talented people have to put a ton of work into that. I don't want to pretend that like talented people don't have to put a ton of work into things, but there's a certain amount of like, if you're, if you're super talented, like there's, there's a certain amount of like, like I wasn't even talented enough for that, <laughs> you know, it was just something that I liked that I really enjoyed. Um, and I wanted to keep it something that I just enjoyed. So, you know, my notes are always covered in doodles and that's sort of where it is. But I think that that, um, that history and that appreciation and even that the kind of level of like, I've tried to make comics. Um, I know I've, I've, I've done it since I was a kid, even if they were rudimentary has really strengthened my understanding of the difficulty and um, and has given me, I think, you know, certain kinds of insights into what it takes to create comics and some of the the tricks and the and the things that go on formally. Um, yeah, that's really important. I I know one of the biggest challenges I have with my students is to get them to um, think about to kind of re, especially the students, well, all of the students actually, for the most part, when they come into a course, they're so like fixated on how theme and characterization are developed through alphabetic storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to like really do that 180 with them to get them to think about how the visuals are the dominant kind of mover in that space. Yeah, and how much work even the simplest comic takes. 
um, in almost all of my classes, um, and actually especially the, the theoretical classes and especially the, the higher level classes, I have a, you have to make a comic assignment and everybody gets really excited because it's going to be the fun thing. And by the end of it, everybody really is super satisfied with their end product, but is also like, oh my God, it took so long. You know, people come in and like, well, you said only four pages, but I have this really big idea. What if I make like 12 pages? I have, <laughs> by the end, they're like, I couldn't even finish penciling the fourth page. I'm so it's like, yeah. yeah, it's really hard. It's really time consuming. It's a lot of work. Um, yeah. It's and it just, it really changes your appreciation for even the most kind of rudimentary, um, you know, uh, examples of the form. So can you tell us about this dissertation of yours, origin stories, narrative identity, and the comics form? Yeah, um, I, it is one of those things that I've come to understand better uh, as I have gotten further away from it, which I think is true of um, sort of every dissertation. So any, anybody in the, in the course of their dissertation writing or in the course of working on any long project um, let me reassure you that's perfectly okay um if it's harder and harder for you to kind of come up with that two-minute um summary <laughs> that only comes because i'm five years out now um ultimately it started with the question um why does it seem that comics um as a form as a medium is so good at tackling um questions of identity, even in stories that aren't specifically about identity. Um, ultimately, for example, I'm, you know, autobiographies and memoirs aren't necessarily my favorite genre. I don't think, I don't think I, I think like the, the most time I spend writing about a memoir is in the introduction and I'm writing about that memoir because of the way that Alison Bechdel is using um, the visual depiction of words, not necessarily from the, the question of like, what is memoir and how is she writing about herself? Um, although, you know, because certainly a lot of people have written about the question of, you know, how do people represent themselves in comics? That's a, a huge question. But it seems to me that the question of the representation of selfhood um, is really fascinating in comics. Um, character and identity, um, whether that's fictional or real, um, is central to so many stories. Um, I spend a bit of time uh, looking at superhero comics in particular, um, because I'm fascinated by the way that in fact identity is central to the superhero um, genre, which in American comics at least is, you know, as much as a lot of people want to pretend that it's not all that comics is, it is sort of where a lot of American comics um, comes from, are you know, newspaper comics and superhero comics. But ultimately, it comes down for me to a question of form. What makes comics really good at identity is how comics work formally. And that comes down to 
this issue that we all are fascinated by, which is the issue of how words and images work together. Um, which is also, you know, get the board and, and get the red lines. Um, which is also part of how we um, conceive of ourselves um, and other people's selves. Um, you know, when we conceive of identity, I argue anyway, or other people's identity, it's through a mix of kind of conceptual notions um, that are difficult to visualize, you know, things like um, gender, right? Gender is, is a concept and an idea, and it is not a visual thing, and yet we also uh, telegraph that to the world a lot of times through these visual concepts. Um, and so comics in this sort of weird visual mix of word and image is, is dealing in the same kind of tension that identity is often dealing with, in which we have these concepts that are ultimately not visual, but the way that we present them to the world and the way that we attempt to actually bring them to the world is in a visual way. Um, and I get into the weeds a lot of uh, times and I try to get into the weeds about, you know, where do the lines between words and image cross? And in fact, I think mm, they might not. Like, actually, I think that the difference between word and image might be a performative one, actually, um, especially the, the written word and the image. Um, we're, we only see a difference between them because we're trained to see a difference between them. Um, but that entirely affects the way that we interact with these visual signs. All of that theory stuff to say, I look at things like Batwoman. Um, I look at Batwoman to think about how, um, I'll say Batwoman because I think you have a, an article about that and that, that article is from my dissertation. Um, not, excuse me, not an article, you have a slide about that. Um, I look at um, Love and Rockets and Luba and particularly I'm, I ask about Luba's breasts. Her breasts always made me ask like why, what function do they serve um, besides, you know, the fact that Beethoven probably enjoys drawing breasts, um, which is a perfectly valid function, but, you know, what, if we are to think about them and motherhood and um, Luba's question, you know, her difficult character, like, how can we think about her visual representation and how it gets wrapped up in the, the difficulty of her character with the difficulty of looking at her as a woman, you know, like, she's simultaneously a really inspiring character to look at and then those breasts are difficult um, to look at and yet they're also somewhat realistically drawn like they're not big balloons they're they sag and they change and these kinds of things um, I look at uh, Jean Yang's The Shadow Hero uh, as well which uh, attempts to kind of struggle with the history of superheroes um and one of my cats is just attempting to get my attention again um rewriting this history and what it means to um 
retcon essentially and how retconning history can work with um, one with the superhero tradition and and within the story itself I look at both the original um, comics that he's looking at, which is these really fascinating golden age superhero that may or may not have actually been meant to be drawn Chinese and is done so by never actually showing its racial, the character's racial features. Um, and he attempts to sort of rewrite this character as a Chinese American hero um, and what it means to kind of take those steps. Uh, and then um, the Batwoman piece, which you ask about in a few. So. I'll take a pause there. Awesome, I love that. Could <clears throat> could we say that comics, um, through this kind of way that you're really kind of beautifully talking about both the words and the visuals as kind of visual shaping, reshaping, but also in some instances fixing types, but it seems like you're also really like excited about creators who are using this to unfix types. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think what excites me is that it's always doing everything. <laughs> um, and that the moment that we try to fix it, it slips, which doesn't mean that it's not there. Um, but it means that it's always sort of moving, right? Um, So, for the, in the Shadow Hero, for example, this is one of the difficulties. The, fin the moment I finished the Shadow Hero by Jin Yang, I was um, I was kind of mad because I thought like it was too pat, like it was just too easy. Because um, he's like, yeah, you know, that he he the one of the heroes who looks white sort of takes off his mask and says like, I'm an alien too, and he's very clearly referencing. Superman and so the whole Superman debate comes in and it's like oh it's not the same it's not uh, the same mm -hmm. and you know looking at those original comics and thinking about the ways in which like these drawings are both this sort of fixed image that we have that you know both is and isn't these racial markers and the difficulty of the history that we have to acknowledge like we simultaneously have to acknowledge that this is a white supremacist history that erased the ability to draw this character as chinese and yet at the same time certain kinds of visual language certain kinds of verbal language um, certain kinds of writing styles that the original artist used allow this kind of fluidity um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, history wasn't racist. It doesn't mean that the character is Chinese, but it opens up these pockets of possibility uh, and this fluidity um, that allow us to identify so strongly with these characters and sort of insert ourselves in these ways, not necessarily in that like Scott McCloud, everything's universal way, but in a way that allows us to um, find these kind of pockets and, and movements in things that you know otherwise people might assume are really fixed and, and sort of one-to-one. -one. I love that. So let's move, let me take us right into, um, yeah, the epistemology of the phone booth. And it 
this, you know, article, academic article sounds really smart. I'm, I know it is. What is it about and why, why comic scholarship? Why is it important? You know, some people ask me, gosh, you know, why are you devoting so much of your time to this when you could be doing something, you know, serious and important? Well, I mean, I think this is a good article actually to sort of get into that question um, because when Batwoman came out, uh, <laughs> I suppose literally and figuratively, um, there were so many articles in the news about um, about it, right? Because like, ooh, the quote unquote lipstick lesbian in detective comics. Um, and, you know, ooh, this big new thing that's happening. And, you know, it's a blip on the radar. Ultimately, a lot of people will care for a hot second and, and be angry on Fox News for like one segment about what's happening in comic books and then not care again. Um, we've seen this happen, especially with the big DC characters more than any, it seems, because they're so iconic and they've been around for so long. Uh, but then, you know, the, to take the time to actually get to know the characters or see what's happening in the books is, um, you know, that's not going to ha happen. Um, but these characters in particular, you know, at least for me, and as I, as I mentioned, one of the things that I, I particularly like to work on are the sort of pop culture comics. Um, these characters are really important to people and they mean things to people. And to take the time to think about what they mean and and what kinds of messages they send us in, in more complex ways, I think is important. It's important to think about the messages media send us. I think that's true in any time. Um, in this day and age, when I'm doing my why are you in a comic studies class pitch, um, I think that comics studies as a field is important and useful um, because comics are a powerful and a growing medium, a changing medium. Um, it is a medium that in order to really grasp it, you're doing all of this sort of multimodal work um, to understand both uh, textual and visual signification that's going on, um, graphic design, like all of these things that are increasingly important in our society. Uh, so to understand a comic book is to understand a way that most of the visual world around us works, which isn't to say that literature isn't important or that film isn't important, but you're getting, you know, to use a sort of purely capitalist uh, rhetoric for a moment, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck in comics scholarship. Um, but outside of that, you know, comics are amazing and they're growing. Um, we'll get to this a little bit later, but one of the fastest growing areas of comics right now are kids, are kids reading comics. And so understanding how comics work is also understanding the way that um, an entire generation of people are forming the way that they read and the way that they understand the world around them. Very cool. Yeah, we're, I'm working on right now um, the second 
the second adventure in a kids book series. Um, the first one will be out in June and uh, it's called The Adventures of Chupacabra Charlie. And um, unlike you, I'm not, I don't have any skills whatsoever in the kind of visual areas, but. You're uh, vastly overrating my skills. <laughs> well, but yeah, so uh, doing the second, the second installment in this uh, adventure series, um, working with Chris Escobar, the illustrator, we decided to really go like full throttle comics, you know, um, in the layout um, and everything. And I'm like super excited. Um, I mean, there's so much that comics can do that only comics can do. And that's hmm, what's yeah. really fun. Um, yeah, there's so, something, to, uh, there is an, okay, don't get me wrong. I love illustrated kids' books and I love mm -hmm. the way that they ask us to kind of pause and absorb and you see the, the little guys, you know, like noticing details every, every time that, you know, we read through them. And by the way, you know, God, like a, a million times isn't enough, right? To read through. <laughs> um, but, but there is also, uh, as you and I both know, there's something extraordinary about a kind of a, a layout that allows for those time space units to be configured on a single page that gives the story an added aspect of energy and depth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, let's move to the next one. Do you have a favorite genre, style, and author? Genre, I guess you've kind of already uh, mentioned if we're going to, you know, consider like the, you know, the popular kind of superhero stuff as a genre. But yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Genre style. I I like a lot of stuff. I mean, I am very broad in my tastes of comics. I tend to like, um, I tend to, it's easier to say I tend to, it tends to be an extraordinary kind of, um, memoir that, that will, that will make it to the top of my reading pile. Um, which doesn't say that I don't enjoy them or appreciate them. It's just like, they're not going to be my favorites. Um, you know, I like, I like the fun stuff. Um, you know, give me my laser swords and my, um, and my, and my people and things. I, I am, I am a sucker for formal play. So there is a bit of, um, <laughs> obviously a bit of tension there in that I am often easily bored by pretension and yet I love formal play uh so you know uh, which is sort of why I mentioned you know when you say this uh uh George Harriman is one of my favorites who does crazy cat um I think you know he he strikes that balance of just this kind of sense of this absolutely beautiful sense of form um and also just whimsy and joy um, Jaime Hernandez, uh, in particular, in Love and Rockets, I think, is a absolute formal genius. Uh, as he's sort of subtle about it. He's not doing the kind of like, I don't know, Chris Ware or J. H. Williams the Third in a different context, kind of like forty-seven panels and fifty million ways kind of things. But um, his really subtle use of form is just absolutely stunning, um, and he draws like God. Uh, <laughs> um, but 
I, you know, I like a little bit of everything. I really enjoy manga. Um, we haven't talked much about that, but I love a lot of manga too. Um, although I'm a bit out of date, it seems to, if you pause for like a moment in manga, it's just whoosh and it's gone. <laughs> you come back and you're like, wait, I don't, where did it go? Like everything I knew is gone. Um, but that seems to also be true of uh, sort of mainstream superhero comics too, so. How would you respond to comic studies is so US centric and of course this is your image here, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's absolutely true. Um, it's so true. And as, as I mentioned uh, briefly, I suppose that was a good segue. I'm very interested in manga. Um, just due to the difficulty of Japanese language issues, uh, you know, I can't, uh, the difficult, and uh, not only the difficulty of Japanese language itself, but then manga it's, is, uses a lot more colloquialisms and sort of informal language that goes beyond what they teach you in, uh, if you're not you know, in classes. So um, it's very difficult to read manga. Um, out of translation, even if you've been studying it for a long time. Um, and like traditional Japanese department, like Japanese departments within universities are quite traditional. And this is, seems to be true of a lot of actually um, language departments. They tend to be a little bit more traditional. So the comic study stuff doesn't tend to get into them as much. So most of the comic studies work is coming out of either English departments or maybe art departments. And they're focusing on stuff that's either in English primarily or entirely in translation. So we're just getting a lot of US stuff. And it's really a shame. I mean, one of the benefits that I've had doing my dissertation and my graduate work in comparative literature and in a comparative literature department that really embraced the kind of more um, modern version of comparative literature that that wasn't just like, well, you can only study English or you know English, French, German, Russian, and you know you have to do everything in translate. You know, um, it was much more kind of open version of comparative literature that also was thinking about interdisciplinarity and you know inter. Um, intermedia and intermodal forms and that kind of thing as well under the comparative um, umbrella. Um, so we have a lot of folks in the department that I came from that are also thinking about comics and so or if not comics directly at least we're sort of interested and would be like hey I found this thing that might be really interesting to you or you know I would find a thing and be like this might be interesting to you are you curious about it or could you help me with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, comic studies in the U.S. especially I mean, is, is super U.S. centric, and I mean, sometimes even finding stuff on British comics is hard, which shouldn't be the case, and yet here we are, mm -hmm. um, and it's to its detriment. Um, you know, I understand the feeling sometimes that I can't touch anything that is even a little bit outside of my wheelhouse, um, and yet that's gotten us to a place where what we have is nothing, right? Like, you know, well, you know, I don't want to talk about something in translation because it's in translation. And what we have instead is, you know, nothing on, like you and Anna Marino have written on Hispanic comics. Yeah. 
Like that's not, that's not good. <laughs> I would prefer people trying to work on things and sort of taking, um, you know, at least taking some, some steps towards uh, grasping um, the, the sort of global sense of comics, but. Yeah, I know, me too. Speaking of translation, you know, we, you and I and others that study comics, of course, know this to be a fact, just like film and literature and all of the arts. Um, creators in this country get their hands on a, a comic made in another country, uh, another creator, and they're like, oh my goodness, how did they do this? And then they start, you know, the relay race goes. Mm -hmm. But of course, translation and distribution as you just mentioned, it's not just um, the fact that there's a certain kind of, maybe if I wanna be totally um, blunt, laziness, there's actually just problems of, you know, translation and distribution, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the reasons that I chose these two pictures, um, the Edernaut, for example, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a translation of it for years and years and years. Um, I had one in Spanish and I, you know, I can read Spanish okay, um, you know, it's from the 50s and so occasionally I'd get a dictionary and call up my father who's from Argentina and be like, did you know, like, what's this referring to? And he, you know, he was born in 1960, so most of it he's like, I don't know, like, um, sorry dad. So it finally comes out and yay, we've got an English translation of the Eat or Not and it's gorgeous. Man, is it gorgeous. But not a lot of people are going to pay $50 for this really, really gorgeous book. Um, and that's sort of what's happened, right? Like, you know, Fantagraphics got it. They made this beautiful book, but it's premium. And it's only going to go so far, um, rather than kind of pushing it as something that might be more accessible and might be more, um, you know, um, the other image is from Gato, which is a, um, alternative manga magazine that ran from the 60s until the late 90s. You know, people have a sense of what manga is, but really the majority of manga that we get is a very small slice of super, super mainstream manga. There's all kinds of interesting alternative manga that's happening. Um, and we just, it's just that we don't get it. It would be the equivalent of somebody in um, you know, <clears throat> Japan thinking that all of American comics were Marvel and DC. There's plenty of great Marvel and DC comics, but that's only a very small slice of, of what comics are. You know, there have been, again, there have been people trying to do, you know, small things. Again, Fantagraphics has put out a couple of things recently um, by more either historical figures or alternative figures but they're more expensive, they're small print runs. Um, so it's not only that, um, as you say, like very few things do get translated, but then also when they do get translated, it's much harder for people um, who want to read them to actually read them because smaller numbers, higher costs and these kinds of things. And yeah, I don't know, it's, it's yeah. hard to fix. It's like I'm having a conversation with myself right now. You know? <laughs> My head keeps bobbing the whole time. Uh, yeah, it's, and I think the Ed, uh, you know, um, you know, the Osterheld's um, Lopez, I think it went, 
like I think Fanographics didn't reprint it. Like I think it's out. I don't think you can go to their website and get it anymore. Um, but anyway, you know, you and I and others are out here doing the work um, to make sure you, in fact, have your bookstore going. So, you know, hopefully I managed to get one for the bookstore. So there's at least oh. still some in Diamond. Okay, good. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's move on. Where is the heartbeat then in comic studies? Comic studies, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So like, where, where do you see like the real energy? I know you're, you wrote on origin stories, you've written on the epistemology of the, the phone booth, um, but yeah, where do you feel it being a kind of alive? I, um, you know, to be completely honest, I've been a little bit out of um, what's been happening in the last like two years or so as I've been sort of transitioning out um, of being a more full-time academic so and that you know for comic studies that's a lot of time um, but what I do know about comic studies is that um, it's a very vibrant field with a lot of a lot of change happening you know there's a lot of young people um, doing a lot of exciting work um, and who are willing to, you know, put their careers on the line because this is a hard time for jobs, for positions. And so choosing to, to work really, um, you know, really finely, it's a, you know, it's a thing, it's a decision that I made and that I don't ultimately don't regret, although it comes with a lot of frustration. Um, choosing to really throw your lot in with comic studies is, um, is one that might mean that you're going to have less options. Um, but it, it, that means that you have that passion and you have that drive and you really believe in the field and the medium. Um, I could name, you know, a lot of young scholars. I was just talking today with, you know, um, Josh Copen and Jeremy Carnes who are finishing up their dissertations in all of this. Um, right in the middle of all of this. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're brilliant. There's a lot of brilliant folks. Um, names, of course, are escaping me. I think of Jeremy and Josh because I just talked with them today. Um, but um, definitely the things that are exciting me are um, a lot of, and of course I just named two guys, um, <laughs> but a lot of young women scholars um, coming up and taking the mantle, um, you know, scholarship in general, academia in general is a lot of guys and a lot of white guys, comic studies, possibly even more so. Um, but a lot of um, young women scholars, um, a lot of people of color, mm -hmm. um, I think you have like John Flowers, um, who is a man of color, he works on manga. Um, Adrian Rescha um, is also working on comics. She's done a lot of work on what she calls the Blue Age of Comics. Um, so there's a lot of young folks sort of actively um, and very purposefully wanting to drive the conversations. And um, that's really exciting. I love that picture there. All of my sort of favorite people. I wasn't at that one, as you know, the um, ICAF. Um, having a kid sometimes means it's <laughs> for me to do some of these conferences. But um, what I do love about comic studies, and you're right, I mean, the MLA, which is our big kind of, 
you know, bulletin board for jobs, I think in the last five years, maybe, maybe one or maybe two mentioned comic studies, right? Um, but what I do know is that because we all are kind of, you know, in the ring together, we're working together. And I've never really seen, um, I haven't, I've never actually seen, except for maybe Mark Singer's book, Breaking uh, Frames, right? Where, you know, people <laughs> are meet, like, there's no, we're not, we kind of love each other and yeah. support each other. And we're also very much like with the creators, like that one's mm-hmm. awesome because, you know, you're there with Jaime and, you know, we go, we go to like the conventions and we're, you have a bookstore and it's like, what better space could there be to feel totally enriched as a scholar than to see how your work matters like in the minute, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really exciting. And I mean, you know, I'm sure that there is a, there's, that this happens to a certain extent in film with like small independent film. And there's a certain amount of it that might happen in um, literature with certain kind of smaller authors and things, but you know, comics artists are like super accessible and most of them, um, comics creators, really like 98% of the comics creators that I've met are just wonderful people. Um, And that's true of comics scholars as well. And so, and you know, comics retailers are just pretty much happy to do, you know, they're like, cool, you wanna buy some books? Like, I'll help you buy some books, let's go do this. So there is a real sense of kind of community and um, between all of the kind of aspects of of the comics world um, from scholarship to creators to um, retail that, you know, it's, it's really, it is really, really lovely. Um, And, um, and it is, yeah, it's not the kind of thing that I get the sense happens in a lot of other fields. Um, And it's, it's really, it's really nice. Thank goodness for comic studies. Yeah. <laughs> so um, creation, and I think heartbeat, the heartbeat, the vital sort of space of uh, comics creation, you started to kind of move in that direction already. But yeah, I see you've got some, some of my favorites here as well. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously great creators everywhere. Um, but the reason that I chose these three artists, Tilly Walden, um, artist creators, Tilly Walden, Jen Wang, and Noel Stevenson, is that what I was sort of seeing between them um, is a mix of um, the way that they both rose and came to fame, the way that they're using their sort of newfound fame, um, and the kinds of books that they write um, seems to be a model that is being very successful and like just good for comics. Um, Noel Stevenson and Jen Wang um, were very, very online for a very long time. Um, did a lot of their work. Nimona, um, Jen Wang was, you know, also part of like um, a group called Pants Press back in the day, um, which included Dylan McConus, who's also could be on this list, um, and Vera Brogsoll, who could also be on this list. Um, were posting online comics and getting a small following that way um, and then spend some time in art school and then create these beautiful comics 
um, as parts of anthologies. Um, and then, you know, now they've got these big books. Um, Tilly Walton's a little bit different. She didn't do as much online, but then one of her big books recently on a Sunbeam a couple of years ago started as a webcomic. So she's also kind of balanced this um, building through anthologies, building through the kind of grassroots independent world, but also building an audience um, online. And all of them also kind of work in this um, young adult, not, not necessarily all ages, because when a lot of people say all ages, they think kids, kids, but all ages in that like pretty much if you're 10 or 11 up, you're going to be okay. Read like the content isn't going to freak you out. Like you're going to be good. Um, but really still sophisticated, beautiful, formally really, really good. Um, their drawings are just beautiful, like top, top tier stuff. Um, all of them are producing just absolutely gorgeous work that's still really accessible for everyone um, and, and just so good, um, but has built an audience in an organic way. Um, and it's just really beautiful. And like, like, as I sort of mentioned it, other names have popped up and come around. And it speaks, I think, also to the way that the comics readership audience is changing. You've got a younger audience, a lot more um, female, non-binary, queer folks um, coming in, in part because of that more organic audience building, in part because of the audience building that's coming from online mm -hmm. as well. Um, so, you know, there's lots of different heartbeats, but this is one of the big trends that I see um, that is really encouraging and that I think is really, really good for comics. Um, of course, I could say things like Marina Telgemeier or you know, some of the other people and that kind of stuff, but this was one of the ones that I thought um, was at least worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my goodness, you have like a gazillion subscribers to your classes online and- um, I have that many, goodness gracious. <laughs> And I am telling you, I know why, because you have a serious talent for it. I have seen a lot of online stuff and you like bring in energy and depth of knowledge and breadth of knowledge like I had not seen before. So, but yeah, I mean, how, why and how, and like, this is like remarkable and everybody should like run to your lectures online right now. Well, so this channel started literally as I was given some online classes and um, I, I've tried to take online classes before and I'm somebody who I, I like learning. I do this kind of stuff for fun, but online, online learning is really, really hard, um, especially when for a lot of things, you know, people just kind of sit in front of a lecture or sit in front of a computer and just talk for a long time about, you know, when they try to sort of replace the lecture with just a thing. Mm -hmm. So when I started, when I knew I was going to do an online class, I figured, okay, like I have to not do that. <laughs> like I, that can't work. Um, because, you know, one of the things that was, one of the things that was always really important to me, the thing that was most important to me, the reason that I got into academia at all was because I want, I wanted to teach. Um, and so if I was going to teach online, I was going to do it right. 
and in a way that you know would be the most accessible and would be you know would get the information across and so the way that made the most sense was to make some short video lectures and do um, the easiest way to sort of upload them if I was gonna like we were on Blackboard for a while and we were on Canvas for a while and then I went to a, I was doing a different school that was using like D2L and so it was like well if I just have them on YouTube then I can just link them everywhere um, and this is funny because it's not it's not like this this particular channel isn't I never did any advertising or anything for this channel I've never done anything it's just, people just stumble upon it and follow it. And this particular channel, I've tried to do all the advertising for Comics Crash Course, but it doesn't have nearly as many followers. But this one's been around for a little bit longer, so. Build it well and they will come. <laughs> so tell us any, any surprises in your adventure of teaching comics online or otherwise. <sighs> I, I mean, this is always a hard question because, you know, it's, it's about some of the times those personal interactions and, mm -hmm. you know, you never know how much you want to tell and those kinds of things. I think some of the times, some of the things that surprise me the most are what works and what doesn't work. Um, for example, I, I love runaways. Um, Ryan Vaughn's Runaways series, and actually the, the current run is also, I just am loving the hell out of it, um, by Rainbow Rowell and Chris Anka, and the new artist's name is escaping me. Um, and I don't have an issue anywhere right here to give them credit, so I'm sorry, current artist. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to teach. I was doing like a summer class, and I was like, cool, like, well, well there's all this like cool stuff about, you know, made families and like I don't know Nico's power is so weird because she's a teenager and like she has to cut herself to get this thing to come out and it's like I don't know there's like penetration and menstruation and all this kind of cool stuff like right with puberty like we'll get in it everybody was like I like it I don't know like nobody want to talk about it and I was like what uh, <laughs> why no um and then other things just um seem to perennially teach super great like, I'm, I'm not surprised, for example, that Craig Thompson's Blankets teaches well. Um, it's, I think, a really accessible book. And, you know, it's about first love and growing up and breaking off from your parents. And, like, we, I think there's a way in which all of us at some level can um, relate to it. I'm always a little surprised because, it, like, like, I grew up in Michigan with, at least for part of my life, a kind of evangelical upbringing. And so like, it's really hits home for me. And so I'm always surprised when other people are like, oh yeah, no, this is me too. I was like, but is it really for you? Like it's for me, um, but it seems to be. Um, but the way in which people really, really get what's happening with form with it. And then after that book can suddenly read form better. It's always like, it's always a surprise again. Um, yeah, there's so always like that, that kind of thing that happens. Um, mm -hmm. And so teaching a new book is always fun. Crazy Cat, for example. I love Crazy Cat and always have trouble teaching it. And that, that hurts. That one hurts deep. 
I had a surprise one one uh, semester when <clears throat> so doing kind of more superhero stuff and then uh, a shift into the more alternative indie stuff and um, one semester all of the comments that I got were no we wanted more of the superhero stuff and I I was surprised um, honestly because you know, like you were saying, you know, uh, blankets, somehow you'd think that that would resonate more with them somehow, but actually, no, they wanted the superhero stuff. Big surprise for me. <laughs> How about this thing? You were curatorial <laughs> assistant at this like super awesome museum. Yeah, so just to sort of make clear what was happening, um, so I was brought on um, initially to be an assistant to Dr. Ben Saunders um, for the Marvel Universe of Superhero show. So I'm actually attached to the show, not necessarily to the museum, but the show was at the museum. Got it. Um, so I started as an assistant, but you know, relatively within a relatively short time, I was helping write some of the text and doing things, and so. We became, you know, I am the, I think my official title now is associate curator. Okay. Um, <laughs> Got it. I, I'll get that right next time. No, that's okay. It's, it's totally fine. Um, it's, you know, it's a title thing. It's not, um, I didn't get paid any extra. <laughs> um, but this was really, um, really a super fun experience, really amazing. Um, and a, a glimpse into a very cool and different world. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so Dr. Benjamin Saunders here at UO, who was my advisor and is now a good friend, um, was brought on to be the chief curator for this project, um, which is a sort of major traveling exhibition about Marvel, um, the history of Marvel. Um, and it got to a point where like it was not, like it needed more people on it. Um, and I was kind of in between jobs. Like I had, you know, one class in the fall and I was going to have one class in the spring and I didn't have anything in the winter. And so, um, he got in touch and said, well, maybe, you know, would you, would this work? Like if we talked about it and, um, yeah, it became like a year long, year and a half long project. Um, and then still occasionally has a, a few things bump up for it. Um, but it was a really interesting experience because, when you're doing work for a museum and for a project like this, the signage that you're writing, you know, you have different things where it's like, okay, I have a big poster where I have to explain the war on comics in the 1950s. So I have 250 words to do it. <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, in this caption, I can explain why this is important in a hundred words. Um, because, you know, if you ex expect people wandering around a museum, mm -hmm. most of them don't read it at all. And the people who do read a lot of this extra material are, um, you know, they're, they're not going to read very long because there's so much to see. And so you want to make sure that you're getting out accurate information very quickly in a way that's super, super accessible. Um, and it was really difficult. 
really difficult, especially when you're like, okay, secret wars, 100 words. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but it was also really satisfying for me because one of my great frustrations in academia was, is always the kind of um, the tendency to be kind of obfuscatory mm -hmm. and um, um, sort of highfalutin in language. I, I, I'm somebody who really fights for kind of like, let's be as accessible as possible. Um, so doing a kind of project that was like, let's take all of this knowledge, let's take all of this understanding, let's make uh, not just historical facts and, and, you know, how did Spider-Woman become Spider-Woman, but also like, how do comics work? Why is original art important um, versus this, you know, big copy of a poster? Um, those kinds of questions. Um, how did, you know, the communist, you know, the Red Scare of the 50s and 60s affect the creation of these characters and this kind of stuff? Um, mm. Those kind of more academic -y ideas, really accessible in a way um, that people enjoyed. Um, that was, that was really, really fun as well. Um, and then getting to see people actually like walking through the museum and stopping and reading different captions and be like that's the one I wrote um, <laughs> that was like you know people people don't read your academic articles like the five people that you know read your academic articles seeing like 150 people walk by and read even if it's just very short read your caption is like <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's very very cool and um, um, very different very 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 different world the world of museums and, and these kinds of shows and things, but um, yeah, very cool, very, very cool that you were at the kind of one of the front lines of um, kind of depth educating populations about the kind of significance and kind of cultural weightiness of comics, right? Yeah, right. I mean, that's 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 what it is. You decided to open a bookshop, a comic book shop, right? This is like for a lot of people, they'd be like, what? Andrea, <laughs> you like crazy? What's going on? I did. Um, I did. I mean, the joke is um, I was in academics. I'm opening a comic book shop because that seems more uh, stable. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a joke for, a, a very dark joke for a small amount of people. Um, but yes, so I graduated in 2015. Um, I was on the market for a few years. Um, in 2016, 2017, um, I mentioned earlier Dr. Ben Saunders. Um, one of the sort of great privileges of being at the University of Oregon is Dr. Saunders was establishing the comic studies program. We have a minor in comic studies at the University of Oregon. And that got founded and, and the classes were sort of ramping up while I was a grad student. So I got to teach a lot of those classes. Um, and he went on sabbatical the year after I graduated. So I was the interim director of that program while he was on sabbatical. And, um, <clears throat> you know, then it was time to be on the market more actively. 
and uh, like most people, market didn't go very well. Um, uh, and it's really, really disheartening. I could go into a lot of details, but you know, what are you going to do? Um, I was managing to keep up adjuncting pretty successfully um, between the University of Oregon and Portland State, which also has a comic studies program. And Portland is about two hours north of Eugene for people who aren't here. Um, so, you know, if I'm going up and teaching once a week, it's not that terrible of a commute. But um, it's really unstable. And when you're adjuncting, you don't know if you're going to have a job, you know, you only know you're going to have a job three months at a time. You don't know if you're going to have it, except maybe six weeks before you have it. Uh, and it doesn't pay very well. But it's, I mean, it's something that I really, really loved and was passionate about. Uh, I was supplementing it with some of the curatorial work. Um, but as that began to sort of dry up as well, um, you know, it just was very, very stressful and um, existentially difficult. Um, my friend Katie Proctor owns Books with Pictures in Portland. She opened it um, four years ago now. And um, we had been talking um, just kind of in passing. And she mentioned, hey, if I ever opened a Eugene location, I think you should manage it. And I was like, you know what, let's put that on the back burner, actually. Um, because this is a town, Eugene is, so Portland, for people who don't know, is a huge comics town. Um, we have Image, we have Oni, we have Dark Horse. Um, as well as because of Dark Horse in particular has been here for a really long time before Portland was Portland. And um, that meant that a lot of creatives live out here, which meant more creatives lived out here, which meant more creatives lived out here. Um, Eugene is very nearby with Portland State and University of Oregon. We've got these big um, common studies programs. So like you know, and then in Seattle, we've also got things and we've got kind of graphics up in Seattle you know, on the I-5 corridor. So a lot of my connections um, are also out here. Plus, like, we really like it in Eugene. It's a nice, nice place to live. Um, so we decided, like, this town could use a comic shop. Um, it's got a couple of shops, um, but it doesn't have one a lot like most of the pictures. Um, um, or like Vault of Midnight, which I mentioned earlier, which was a shop back in Ann Arbor, which is um, a, a, a newer model of a shop. Um, when a lot of people think of comic shops, right, they think of big, long, long boxes, a lot of back issues. Um, you know, when you go in, maybe somebody looks up and kind of grunts at you, and maybe, maybe they're not mean, but maybe they're not necessarily the most trained in customer service. Um, events, what events, like... <laughs> you just come in on the days and pick up your back issues and that kind of thing. Um, but like what Books of Pictures does is like, um, they have new comics, they have weekly comics, but really focusing on new readers, large kids section, good manga section, um, lots of trades, regular events with creators, regular reading groups. Um, you know, it's bright, it's clean, it's, you know, everybody there is trained to be super friendly. Um, a really encouraging, um, kind model. And um, there wasn't anything like that in Eugene. And 
but between my connections and some of the work that I'd done, I mean, honestly, getting a PhD is a lot of like data management and um, you know keeping all your ducks in a row. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I think I I think I can do this. Um, and we started looking into it and doing the numbers, and then we were like, actually, I think I can do this. And so, um, yeah, last January we started the process, and um, we opened three weeks ago. <laughs> Um, the timing's not great, but the community has been pretty good in responding to, um, responding to it. And we already had some good things going, um, but yeah. And so for our viewers, what is the website for book with pictures there in Eugene? Yes. So, um, it's books with pictures, E-U-G. Um, so like the first three letters of Eugene.com. Uh, and that's the website for our um, our uh, our shop. Um, and so, if you like, give us some support. Uh, you can buy some comics there. Um, we also have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We do a lot of updates there, uh, and that has links to um, another site uh, that we have a cool thing. I think there, if you um, don't know what you want, you just want us to send you some stuff. Um, we have a couple of different um, price options. Um, and you shoot us an email and say the kind of stuff you like uh, and what you have or don't have or what you don't like. And we'll send you a box of books. Um, that's a really long URL though. It's a My Shopify site. So but if you go to the Facebook page, we share that link a lot. And um, yeah, so we've got those kind of places and um, we'd like to send you some comics. Yeah, this is the time to support. Um... Any advice for future gens, comic scholars, and readers? I know we've, on this journey that you've taken us, um, you yourself have been, there have been a lot of ups and downs that you've shared with us. Um, yeah, maybe there's some little nibbles here. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the question that I get asked a lot is, is if I regret it. Um, and I, I, I honestly, honestly do not. Um, it's been hard and I'm sometimes angry at the state of academia and the way jobs and grad school and things, but I don't think that that's unique to comic scholarship. Um, and I certainly don't think that I would have been any happier or better off if I had, you know, gone ahead and studied post-war American literature or whatever and just written the chapter on comics. Um, I probably would have been in the same place, only I would have spent a lot of less time writing on things that I liked. Um, but being really aware of the, you know, the realities of the world is important. I mean, but it's also difficult, right? Because in order to kind of finish, you kind of have to think of yourself as an exception. It's just so difficult and so tenuous. Um, but we're all in that boat and know that everybody's in that boat and there's so 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 much good support out there both amongst your colleagues who are your same age even if they're not in your school and also i think pretty much everybody who i've interacted with um, is fantastic so if you write an email to somebody who's written a book and you liked it they're probably going to be super great for you um, and want to help you and give you all sorts of resources and um, uh, answer your questions like literally everybody I've met has just been a dream uh, and and don't be afraid to reach out and ask uh, those questions um, 
I would say comic scholars, my number one point would be do a little bit of art theory. Get into some art theory. Um, I think a lot of comic scholarship, and this is getting better, but a lot of comic scholarship is really dependent on more traditional literary theory. And I would be really interested to see more folks thinking about um, questions that have already been answered, or at least not answered, but at least already been thought about in art history and um, visual arts theory. Um, so there's that. Um, for comics readers, uh, read widely. Um, don't be afraid to read what you like. If people treat you badly for reading what you like, um, stop hanging out with them. There are plenty of other cool places to go um, and cool folks to meet in the comics community, um, no matter where you are, um, even if that means perhaps, um, you know, going online instead of hanging out with somebody in real life. But the most important part I'd say to anybody who's reading comics right now, and especially right now, is to support your local comic shops um, at any time. Um, comic shops run on really small margins. Um, I know sometimes you can get things cheaper through Amazon. I get it, and we all have limits to the amount of money that we can spend. Um, but if you can, supporting a local comic shop is really important um, and can help save their bacon. So. Find out if a comic shop near you is maybe doing free delivery or free curbside pickup and throw a couple bucks their way if you're bored and need some new reading material. Thank you, Andrea, so much for sharing uh, a little part of your journey with us with uh, this Professor Latinx video cast and we will support you. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me.